Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's great to be with you all on this first Sunday back in person. That's so fun. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'm Aaron Clifford Reese, and I live in Virginia. And I'm an Anglican pastor and a doctor of theology. And I've been preaching here as part of the teaching team for years now. I've forgotten. I've lost count. Um, here at TLC. And I really love whenever I get the chance to come back. Um, but if you came this morning and you were looking for Torin, I am not he. <laughs> I only have one tattoo, so I don't measure up at this point. He's somewhere swimming with sharks in the Philippines. Um, but it's great to be with you. I always seem to come with some kind of news or I bring someone with me. And I have both today. I brought someone with me. I brought a little boy in here. So I'm pregnant. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm 20 weeks, 20 weeks today. I'm told he's the size of a sweet potato. So there's that. Um, but it's great to be with you. As we start this year, as we start 2024, I may know more about what my year entails than maybe you do, but we all start wondering what is this, what's this year going to be like, right? This is a time of, of resolutions, maybe around the coffee machine at work. People have already asked, what's your resolution and, and what are you thinking about? What are your priorities? Maybe you've started an exercise plan or a career goals plan or a plan for doing homework differently or whatever it might be. There's so much that we have as our priorities, our hopes for this year. But there's so much that God is going to do that we don't know about. Because God is full of surprises. And God's kingdom is always on the move. And so there are going to be things this year that you have no idea that are coming, that are full of blessing and joy, as well as challenge. But that God is going to grow us through. So I think today and the beginning of the year is a great time to not only think about our priorities, what are our hopes, but actually to align our priorities with God's. Because maybe you've got ideas and dreams and the Lord's like, but what about my priorities? <laughs> what about what I'm doing in my kingdom? Where can we line up with, with your dreams and your goals? How can we realign those with what God wants? So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at a time when Jesus was trying to ask the leaders and the people around him to line up their priorities with his. So we're going to start here in Matthew 23. And this sets the stage for the passage we're going to look at. So in Matthew 23, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces to be called rabbi by others. But the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The greatest among you will be your servant. This is what I like to call the math of the kingdom. And the math of the kingdom of God doesn't match our math. <laughs> one and one does not equal two in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the last shall be first. The first shall be last. The person with the most power and prestige sits in, does not sit in the place of honor. The person who is weak, the vulnerable, they sit in the place of preference. So the math of the kingdom doesn't always line up with our math. And so here Jesus is trying to retrain the math of these leaders. He's saying to the crowd, you should listen to what they say. Listen to the teaching, but don't do what they do because their life doesn't line up with their teaching. The outside doesn't match the inside. And in the kingdom, in the math of the kingdom, what's inside is more important, actually, than what's outside. 
But that goes against a lot of what we're trying to do in our world just as human beings, right? We care a lot about the outside. What do I look like? How do I come across to people? Do I have respect in my job or my career? Do I look like I'm a smart person who's learning in class? Whatever it might be, we get caught up with the outside when actually the inside is where God's priorities are, especially for us as we start a new year. So Jesus goes on. He said this to the crowd in the beginning of Matthew. And then as we read on in Matthew, he goes to a dinner party. And so I like to call this what not to do at a dinner party. <laughs> in fact, whenever Jesus goes to a dinner party with Pharisees or Sadducees, something's, something's happening. Something's going to come up, okay? So he goes to dinner at this Pharisee's house. And of course, he's got other religious leaders there. And of course, something goes down. So here he is, and he doesn't wash his hands. So before the meal, he doesn't wash his hands. Now, many of you may be thinking, well, yeah, my mom would be mad at me if I didn't wash my hands either. But his host is outraged, and it isn't so much about hygiene, although that was important. It was actually more about the law. So a really scrupulous Jew, a very faithful religious Jew, would wash their hands before the meal because they're washing off the dirt of the world, the sin of the world that they may have come in contact with. They want to be clean. They want to be holy. That's the goal of the law and following the law. So that's why they wash their hands. And here Jesus is. I mean, where's Jesus been? Jesus has been all over. Jesus has been laying hands on lepers. Jesus has been surrounded by hundreds of crowds, particularly sinful crowds, and he doesn't wash his hands. So the host gets very upset about this. And this is Jesus' response, which I said is not what you don't do at a dinner party. <laughs> Jesus responds with what we call the seven woes. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, hypocrites. Woe to you, blind guides. We're like, whoa, Jesus, that's, that's a big, big deal. He does these seven woes. Now, we don't have time to go over all seven. Oh, I know, you're very sad this morning. We're just going to look at, at the, whoa, four, five, and six. But you get the general idea of what Jesus is saying. He's saying your priorities are in the wrong place, scribes and Pharisees. You need to line them up with my priorities. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 23. So here he is at this dinner party with these religious leaders. And he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Ooh, okay, <laughs> try to do that at a dinner party. Um, you're like, whoa, Jesus, this is, this is intense. Uh, well, a couple things to note about this. When he says, whoa, the word woe isn't a curse. It's more like, alas, it's a mournful cry. Whoa, alas, Pharisees, alas, you blind guides, you're missing the whole point of what I want you to do. And he calls them hypocrites over and over again, especially in the Matthew version. And that word hypocrites means acting a part. They're playing a role. The lives that they're leading on the outside as leaders do not match the lives that they're leading on the inside, at home, where their integrity is. 
He's saying, you're hypocrites. You're not matching up. What you're trying to do on the outside doesn't match what's on the inside. So how should we think about this passage? Well, usually when we read a passage about the Pharisees like this, we go, oh, those Pharisees, if they could only get themselves together. (laughs) If they could only be like us, we're so great. Or maybe you think about the person next to you, you know, and your elbow goes out and you're like, oh, this other person next to me needs to hear this message. I see that a lot when I'm preaching up front, you know, see a little elbow go out, especially between spouses. I don't recommend it. Um, But maybe you're thinking about that. Maybe you're thinking about someone you know or in your community. Or maybe you're thinking about Christians. Maybe this has been your experience of a lot of hypocrisy amongst people who call themselves religious. Well, this morning, I want to encourage us not to be thinking about the other person, but to let Jesus speak to our hearts. Let Jesus look inside our cup and talk to us about whether the outside of our life of faith matches what's actually going on in our heart and our priorities with Jesus. Jesus here, as I said, is, you know, what not to say at a dinner party. Jesus is pretty harsh, it seems. Why is he so harsh with them? Well, it's because he loves them. He loves the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He loves them as much as he loves the widow or the leper that he's just healed. He loves them, and he doesn't want them to stay where they are. He wants them to know his kingdom. In fact, his kingdom is sitting, not washing his hands in front of them, and they're missing it. They're missing God's priorities entirely, and they have too much power and too much leadership. God's given them too much for them to misuse it in this way. But he ultimately loves them, and he doesn't want them to stay where they are. So in that first verse, uh, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What's he talking about? Well, the tithe, right? We know the law required 10% of what you had yielded from your, from your harvest or wherever from what you'd earned. You give it back to God. And it's a sign to God that you trust God, that you know God is the one who's given it to you in the first place, so you give back a tithe, right? Well, he's saying this is what they're doing. They're in their gardens, and they're tithing the garden herbs, mint, dill, cumin. They're just taking a tenth of all of that and giving that back to God. And God's like, I didn't ask for that. In fact, that wasn't in the law. They weren't required to tithe their garden herbs, but they were going to these nth degree, to these like tiny scrupulous details, thinking this would make them look better, thinking this would make them look holy. And God's like, that's not what I asked for. I never asked for those. I asked for justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have listened about the weightier matters of the law, the more important things. You're doing these tiny little things because they matter to you and they matter to how you look in front of other people. But actually, I care about these bigger things of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And those are the things you should have done. He doesn't say, forget the, forget the garden herbs. He's like, you can keep doing that, but it's not for me. So let's not pretend you're doing it for me. It's a little bit like when a husband and wife, maybe you had this at Christmas, you know, a husband gives his wife a weed whacker, you know, and she doesn't garden. (laughs) And he's like, look, honey, for you. And she's like, this isn't for me. I'm not going to use this. Well, it's a little bit like Jesus is like, this isn't for me. I don't need those garden herbs tithed. What happened to justice and mercy and faithfulness? Those are the more important matters that I care about. So he's talking about priorities. He's talking about who's in charge, whose priorities are they following? They're me priorities or God's priorities. I have a friend named Jago, and he was on his way to school with his kids. And his daughter is seven, and his uh, son is six. So he's on the way to school, and as happens sometimes on the way to school, you get in very interesting conversations with your kids. So he's going along, and they see a sign for gambling. 
And his daughter says, dad, what's gambling? And so that gets into a conversation about addiction. And she says, well, dad, what's addiction? And so as you do on the way to school. And so he says, well, addiction is when you do something and you want to do it over and over again. And you kind of can't stop doing it. And his daughter said, oh, like my guinea pigs. (laughs) I love my guinea pigs. I'm addicted to my guinea pigs. And he said, well, you know, sure. He's like, usually it's when it's something that's bad for you, but sure, maybe you love your guinea pig so much that it takes you away from God and from the love of your family and, you know, serving your parents. And sure, maybe that could be an addiction. So she gets very excited about this idea and she decides to list her top 10 addictions. (laughs) Okay. So first she says God. So that's good. And then second is her guinea pig. And then third is her mom. And then fourth is Patch, her brother's guinea pig. (laughs) And then the list keeps going. Eventually, dad is number nine. So that's good. Dad got in there somewhere. But then when she's done, it was quiet in the car for a second. And his son spoke up, who was in the back, who's six. And he hadn't said much the whole time. His son speaks up and goes, I'm addicted to me. I'm addicted to me. And it's one of those great profound moments, you know, out of the mouth of babes, the the wisdom comes. Aren't we all a little addicted to us? I mean, as you were thinking about your priorities for this year, your your, uh, different um, goals that you want to make, they probably centered a lot around you. What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? You know, I wake up in the morning and I think about me. Before I go to bed, nobody needs to remind me to think about me. (laughs) I'm already thinking about me. God does care about me. I'm part of God's priorities, but I'm not the whole priority. God cares about the whole world. God cares about my church. God cares about my organization, my school. God's priorities are bigger than just me. And here the Pharisees were concerned about themselves. They had a me priority perspective, and Jesus was trying to open it up. He was saying, you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And I love when the British theologian N.T. Wright, he says that whenever you listen to Jesus talking to a crowd of people, especially Jews, you have to remember that they had scripture-soaked minds. Their minds were full of the Old Testament, of the Torah. You know, they didn't have it. They had it in their minds. They'd memorized it. So every time Jesus would say a verse, he would often not throw out the whole verse or the whole scripture. He would just reference a word or two, and they would know what he was talking about. They would hear the connections to the Torah. And this is one of those examples. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness show up several times in the Old Testament that would have jumped to their minds. Of course, those are the priorities. Those have always been God's priorities. Probably one of the verses that would have come to mind was Micah 6.8, the summary of true religion. He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord wants from you. He wants you to carry out justice, to love faithfulness, and to live obediently before your God, to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This was considered the foundation of the whole law of God. He says, you've forgotten the whole foundation of what we're doing here, guys. Well, I think when we hear this, mercy, justice, faithfulness, we think, okay, mercy. I think I got that. Like if I were to say to you, hey, Joe, how how merciful were you this week (laughs) to others? I think you might be able to have an idea of that or grasp that. Or if I were to say, hey, Karen, how about faithfulness? You know, how faithful were you this week? Or how faithful do you want to be in the coming week? But I think justice is a little bit harder to wrap our minds around. What does it mean to be living a life of justice as a priority in the way that Jesus talks about it? Well, it helps to know what the word justice is in the Bible. So the first word for justice is mishpat. Say it with me, mishpat, mishpat. Don't spit on your neighbor, just mishpat. (laughs) 
So Mishpat shows up more than 200 times in the Old Testament. And that's just in the Old Testament. The Bible is full of this word justice. And Mishpat means justice. It means to treat people equitably. Acquitting or punishing a person on the merits of their case, no matter their social status or ethnicity, economic status. Tim Keller says this, it's giving people what they're due, whether punishment or protection or care. But it also means in scripture, protection of the vulnerable. In fact, every place that Mishpat appears in the Old Testament, a group of people appears at the same time. And that group of people is called the quartet of the vulnerable. And this happens every time Mishpat appears, these people appear. In scripture, they were widows, orphans, immigrants, or the poor. Today, this quartet could be expanded in our world, I think, to refugees, migrant workers, the unhoused, many single parents, and elderly people. People with no social power living on subsistence level. These are the people paired with this idea of Mishpat. And according to the Bible, the Mishpat, or the justness of a society, It was evaluated by how they treated this group. So neglect of this quartet of the vulnerable in scripture wasn't just a lack of charity or a lack of mercy. It was considered a violation of justice, a violation of mishpat. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. That's what it means to do justice. Now, again, this goes against our math, right? We think, but Aaron, I'm drawn to people that are powerful. I'm drawn to people who are successful. But Jesus says, I care about the vulnerable. I care about the weak. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. The group who show up later to the vineyard are given the same wages as the one that comes first. So why should we be concerned about the vulnerable? Because God is concerned about them. It's actually really striking if you want to do a little New Year Bible study on how often God introduces himself as the defender of vulnerable groups. I'll give you one example. Psalm 68. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is one of the main things God does in the world. He identifies with the powerless. He takes up their cause. So that's mishpat. The second word for justice in scripture is zedekah. It's a little bit harder to say. (laughs) And it means being just or being righteous. And often in scripture, in our, especially in the NIV, if you read that a lot, you'll see a lot of the word righteous showing up. Probably half the times that righteous shows up in the New Testament, it should also be justice. So for instance, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is probably what you're used to, but that's the word justice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. So righteousness and justice are this word zedekah. Now, when we think of righteousness, we often think of our personal Our personal righteousness, like, am I holy? Maybe you think of uh, sexual chastity, or you think of uh, reading your Bible, or you think of whether you're generous with your money, or you tithe, or you give to the church. But in in the Bible, Zedekah, this righteousness is bigger than that. It's not just you and your morality. It's how you live throughout a society. It's day to day living in which a person conducts all their relationships in family, in society, with fairness, generosity, and equity. Fairness, generosity, and equity is Zedekah. What would it look like if if our goals for 2024 revolved around generosity, equity, fairness? That would look like God's justice. That would look like a life of righteousness that the Lord wanted us to lead. The point Jesus is saying is the law is not about a spiritual cookbook that they were trying to do. Take a little of this and a little of this and be holy. It's about the heart. 
Jesus was saying, you've missed completely my whole goal for you, which is about your heart and the way that you live your life. It's a roadmap of how to live in the kingdom of God. I don't just want your physical obedience, Jesus is saying. I, want, I care about what your character is. And that's when he says this camel and gnat analogy, which we're like, what in the world is this? You'd strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Well, you can picture the gnat was the smallest unclean thing that they had in the culture at that point. And so here you've got a priest picture at the front of a religious service where they would have a glass of wine that they'd be using for it. And gnats then, just like today, like to get inside wine, like to get inside fermenting wine. So they would take a strainer and the priest before the service would be straining out the gnats from the wine. And so he's saying, here you are working so hard to get this tiny little unclean thing so that none of your wine will be unclean. You want to be holy but you swallow a camel. (laughs) And the camel is probably the largest, most unclean animal they had in the society. So Jesus is making a joke. And it would have really killed there at that point (laughs) at the dinner party. They would have really gotten it. You all are looking at me like I'm crazy, but it was hilarious in their day. You're straining at a gnat and you're swallowing a camel. In other words, you're worrying about the outside in these tiny little details when what is happening to your insides? What's going on in the inside of you? And it reminds me of 1 Samuel 16. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How easy is it for us to get more concerned about the outward? And I really think when we're concerned about the outward, we're just concerned about people. We're concerned about how people see us. They're really one and the same. When we're more concerned about our outward than our inside, we're actually prioritizing people and what they think of us over what God thinks of us and our heart. But the amazing news this morning is that it doesn't matter how long you've known God. It doesn't matter how you feel like your 2023 went, whether you felt like it was full of justice and mercy and faithfulness. God cares about your heart this morning. In fact, as I was coming in and I saw the snow falling, I felt like the Lord said to me, Aaron, there's going to be some people that come in this morning that don't even know if they should be at church because of what happened in their 2023, because of some decisions they've made. They're not even sure if they have a new beginning, a new start with God, if it's even possible. And I felt like God was saying with that snow that he's the one who comes and makes us holy. He's the one who changes, right? As scripture says, the redness of our sin to the whiteness of snow. That's God's job. And so the good news this morning is maybe you feel like you've been more like that Pharisee where the inside of the cup is dirty, but the outside is clean. And Jesus says, come, let me make the inside clean. Let me make the inside match the outside. Stop replacing ritualism and religion with a relationship with God. So he's talking to them about priorities, and he's talking to them about power. Anytime you have justice or injustice in scripture, it's really a misuse of power. It's a misuse of influence. You may say to me, Aaron, I've got no power. You know, I'm 16 years old and, you know, I even have a car and (laughs) I got no power. Well, if you know one other human being, you have influence. Maybe you're not an influencer, as they say, in their new career opportunity of today on social media. (laughs) Maybe you're not an influencer, but you have influence. If you know another human being, you have influence and thus you have power. And these Pharisees had so much influence and so much power. And God was saying, you are using it unjustly. And Jesus is asking them, as he asked us this morning, with what power we've been given. Maybe we've, we've earned it. Maybe it's been thrust upon us. But with whatever power influence we may have, however big or small, are we using it for the kingdom of God? Are we using it justly? 
Are we using it to protect the vulnerable? Are we using it to live rightly, equitably, fairly, generously in our world? He does that last phrase about the whitewashed tombs, which always sounded so weird. You know, I always wondered what that meant. <laughs> when Jesus says, you're like whitewashed tombs, full of dead men's bodies. Well, one of the things you had in the law that made you unclean was to touch a dead body. That's what happens with the Good Samaritan, right? That's why everyone avoids them because they don't want to become unclean. That's why they pass on the other side of the road from the Good Samaritan. So similarly, Jewish, uh, Jewish tombs, people were buried above the ground. They still are buried above the ground. So if you go to Jerusalem, you'll see in cemeteries, it's not below, it's all these tombs above the ground. Now, no one would want to run into those because they'd become unclean because it was dead and full of dead bodies. So as people were traveling to Jerusalem, making their way to the temple, they would always, for the festivals, they would paint the tombs white, bright white, so that no one would run into them. So he's saying, you're like whitewashed tombs. Just by people getting near you and touching you and following your leadership, they are made unclean because you're full of dead men's bones and hypocrisy. Whew, it's probably about the, the strongest woe that Jesus gives them, but he's talking about their power. He's saying, listen, you've been given all of this power to serve, and instead you're lording it over people. The greatest among you will be your servant, Jesus said, right? Jesus came to serve, right? Jesus came to save and to serve. Justice in the Bible is preeminently a relational bond. Justice is about how we treat others and how we respond to God's, the way God treats others. So the theory is, if God is our priority, then we'll be looking to join him in his priorities, in his platform, in what God's doing in the world. And the good news is this is all done by the Spirit. The good news is if you're thinking, Aaron, that sounds like a lot, justice, faithfulness, righteousness, equity, generosity, how do I do any of that? All I want to do is lose 20 pounds, you know? <laughs> you're thinking, what's my priority? Well, the good news is if you are a follower of Jesus today, you have everything you need to live a just life before God and before the world. The Holy Spirit's job is to make you holy and righteous and just. The Holy Spirit's job is to change the inside of your cup. Maybe you're like, Aaron, the inside of my cup is so dirty. I put it through the wash like three times. That dishwasher has got nothing on it, you know? Maybe you're feeling discouraged about the, 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 what the inside of your cup looks like. Well, it's the Spirit's job to change the inside of your cup. And the beginning of that work is really surrendering more to the Spirit, it's not striving. It's actually not making a list of things that you can do this year. It's actually surrendering more to the Spirit. Because God is always working. The Spirit is always trying to clean our cup out. The Spirit's always leaning towards trying to transform us to be more like Christ. So it's much more about seeing what God is doing and going there. Listening and responding to what the Spirit is doing in the world. Because God's kingdom is all around us. So today, Jesus invites us again to know him fully to hear his voice, to join him where he's already working, to prioritize him above all other things, and to use any power that we may have for the working of his kingdom and not our priorities. We talked, we'll talk about the, uh, the goals. There's challenge that you have here at TLC for this new year where you can memorize scripture, um, you can say a thing you're grateful for each day, uh, you can join a group, so maybe if you're thinking of memorizing scripture, one of the ones I think that speaks to this the most succinctly in scripture is Matthew 6. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, justice, 
And all these things will be given to you as well. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and I'll pray for us as the worship team leads us in worship. Oh, come Lord. Lord, as we start this new year, and we have so many of our own priorities and ideas of what this could be, maybe we have hopes and joys, maybe we also have fears and anxieties of what's ahead. Lord, we surrender those to you. We surrender those to you and say, come Holy Spirit. Come Spirit of transformation, Spirit of joy, Spirit of self-control, Spirit of new dreams and new beginnings, Spirit of creation. Come Holy Spirit and speak to us, even as we worship here, as we sing in response to what you're saying to us today. We ask, Lord, you would show us, what are your priorities? Where are the places where mercy and faithfulness and justice could thrive in our lives? Where are the places you long for us to live differently in our community, in our families? Lord, would you come and show us the way? Come and do the work your spirit does so supernaturally and make us more like yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.